Welcome to Alive and Kicking This Week in the 90s. Yes, we're back for another weekly slice of 90s action. And on today's show, Honest Robbie, as Fowler pleads penalty innocence, Cup Delights for Spurs and Villa, and Gaza joins the Middlesbrough Madhouse. Yes, we're going to let Joel loose on that one. Uh, all that and uh, quite a lot more, actually, this week on This Week in the 90s. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Well, joining me, well, we couldn't do this. Our Monday club, it's like the cornerstones. If it were like the Bermuda Triangle, I don't know, something that's got three edges of 90s football, fresh off our full-length episode. Have you downloaded it yet? You should do. It should be on your little list. If you haven't downloaded it, do it and listen to it now, where we went inside, inside Manchester United. He's a social media mogul for ITV's The Voice. He's also a Borough fan and a lovely chap. Good evening, Joel Young. At least two of those statements are true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let the listeners decide which ones. Yeah, uh, two truths and a lie. Yeah, and um, how are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. If you're all right, are no, you all right? I'm. I'm perfectly well. Yes. I'm, I'm, That's I'm, good. I'm enjoying the the response that we got to our inside inside Manchester United show, which seems to have gone down a bit of a treat. It, it, well, it was. Um, if we if we didn't have such wonderful. Such a wonderful base of inside Manchester United. Um, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't have been there, but good God, that's a bit of work. And if you haven't watched the video, go on, watch the video. But somebody who did watch the video yes. is, on, uh, is in the other place. Yeah, fresh from unearthing the video in his parents' loft, I believe, along with a whole host of treasures that he put to us on Twitter, including the best red wood hullet wig that I've ever seen in my entire life. Matthew Christ, you must put this picture on your Twitter feed. If not, I'm going to do it. Here's a writer for the Sportsman, the Sack Grace. How are you doing, Matthew? Uh, very well, thanks. I was a bit worried about that red hullet. I thought it might not be in the as Kenny Everett would say, the best possible taste. But I don't know. I think it's all right. I don't, don't, I don't think you can. I think it's bad. Do you? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> I think you're asking okay. for trouble if you go out. If you go out wearing that. Oh, well, I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying I went out. Get, I'm not going to go out wearing it. But I'm going to say I, I bought that. I bought that hat in Heidelberg just before the 1988 European Championships. Crikey. So te- technically, we can't really talk about it on this podcast because it's not 90s. But he did play in at Milan until 90. Two, three, didn't he? Yeah, that, mm. that 88 is where his hair is at the very biggest as well, isn't it? His yeah. It's massive he's, at that point. He's got a lovely moustache at that point as well. Yeah, pencil-like moustache. There, could, yeah. there, yeah. there could be a Twitter vote. Maybe we could put a picture up and say whether it's acceptable or not. But yeah. uh, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to uh, bias the vote in any way. Because he had wigs. Kept... When he joined Chelsea, there was a wigs going around. I remember those pictures of the kids, you know, in the in the crowd of wigs of Wood Hulley. So, I, I, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I know 20, 20, 20 odd years ago is yeah, a very long time. I don't know. Um, I don't to, know. Talking of which, when I when I got that, changing the subject slightly, when I got that United, uh, in, I can't remember the name of the video now, the United Inside, 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 story. Inside Story. When I got that on Christmas Day, 1989, and sat around with the parents and made them all watch it, I never thought that nearly 30 years later there'd be uh, three middle-aged men <laughs> finding it. Plus, plus everyone, well, almost middle-aged men finding it so amusing. And, and listening 
to the great work that you did the other week, um, it, it made me realise how how terrible it was. But of course, at the time, you didn't think so. It was I was absolutely amazed by it because, like you said in the in the podcast, you just didn't have access to to footage like that at that time. You just you just didn't you wouldn't have seen that any anywhere else. So it was groundbreaking at the time. But now, obviously, well worth having the uh, the Michael ripped out of it for. Uh, how bad it was, but um, I, I think you thirty did a... years to see Steve Bruce, Bruce's bare ass. I tell you, that was uh, that's that's a way to open a TV show. Seeing Steve Bruce's wet ass. Mm. <laughs> I'm surprised. The, I'm surprised he didn't have an 18 certificate. I know. Yeah, and Jim Layton's that, hotels instead of being exempt from classification. I still, I will still never get over Jim Layton's hotels. That's my favourite thing I think I've ever <laughs> seen. I think that should be a new TV show. But yeah, download the the, the show. That was the, the last full length one we did. Um, yeah, we really do go into great detail about one of the unearthed gem that Sid Lambert unearthed for us, and uh, we really did enjoy it. When we may do some more watch alongs in the future. There's some a few irons in the fire. Uh, as early as this morning from Mr. Lambert as well. So uh, keep at about half past six this morning. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what he was doing. I think he's like, yeah, he was up early. I think because we were trying to get him on this show, didn't we? But he had an early one this morning, uh, tomorrow morning, or this morning. I can't remember wherever it was, but yeah, he couldn't quite make it work. So um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't need to text us though. Even I'm not up that up that early, and I've got a two year old. So I don't. Yeah, too early for us. But he is the king of the Twitter, uh, Twitter sting. So um, I'm, I'll forgive him. Anyway, let's talk about this week in the nineties because it's been—it's quite a busy week. Um, lots of more titbitty, if that's even a word, than sort of juicy stories. But there's there's a li- there's quite a lot to get through. Um, where should we start? Well, I usually start chronologically, but we'll link these two together. Um, these are two cup final wins um, in the in the nineteen nineties. Two league cup finals split across two sponsors as well. First one, twenty first of March, nineteen ninety nine. And so the last League Cup of the decade, the Worthington Cup final, as it was called then, um, we did do a League Cup finals way, way back. Probably one of our first sort of four or five episodes, we talked about the League Cup finals in detail. But we'll just touch on these two finals with the guys here. Um, I've watched the highlights of both of these. Firstly, this one, the the Tottenham Leicester game. It's not the best game of football I've ever seen. And I think it's one of the dire finals. Uh, of of that decade. Uh, coming to you first, Matthew. Uh, any thoughts on this cup win for George Graham in 1999? Well, I was going to say, how long did that highlights reel last yeah. that you uh, <laughs> you watched? Because <laughs> because I actually had the pleasure of talking about this final a few months ago when we did the season by season. Oh, well, you're um, show, yeah. And I was it was the 99 season, obviously dominated by United winning the treble. So we were talking about all the great of things course, that happened that yes. season. Uh, Barcelona and all the, the last game in the season and then we had to touch on this and I think we brushed over it as quickly as we could because we, we all agreed that there was nothing really to talk about and all these weeks on I think I'd, I stand by that. But, yeah um, I've, I've got very little notes on the game I mean we, obviously you see we spoke about it before Joel I mean what have you taken anything from this dire game in 1999? What I do remember and this is he's a bit of clang name dropping is I went interviewed Chaz and Dave. <laughs> um, not that oh, long. You, you've gazumped me there. I, I haven't win. driven any of their cars. Yeah, good night, everyone. <laughs> that, this has been this week in the 90s. Joel wins. I remember saying to them, and it, it was, I think it was probably about maybe a year after this, 2000, when um, George Graham had frozen Ginola out yeah. of the team and, and the squad and everything. And, I, I, and my opening gambit, you know, because I think whenever you interview somebody, you always want to try to get them on side. And I think I, I said something like, so lads, I'm from Middlesbrough, would you like me to go and do something to George Graham? Like laughing. And they just sort of went quiet. 
and then Chaz shook his head and just went, George Graham isn't the man for us. And there was like a genuine sadness in it when I went, oh, God, I've ruined this one, haven't I? <laughs> George Graham Chaz isn't the Dave. man for us. So I was like, oh, my God, I've upset Chaz and Dave. Oh, well, dear. It was a bit way after Ozzy's going to Wembley and his knees are knocking trembly and all that, wasn't it, I suppose? Oh, all, all, all that business, yeah. yeah. But that, like, I was really sort of taken aback at the, the genuine sort of sadness that this Arsenal man was, was still running Tottenham Hotspur. And it was almost like, yeah, we don't about the League Cup, just getting out of there, it was a real fulfilment and sadness, and yeah, but at the same time, you know, that it was um, a 90th minute goal, wasn't it? Yeah, Alan Nielsen. Yeah, which yeah. Um, I was sort of, I remember at the time being very happy about, because obviously Leicester City had done the same to us a couple of years before, when mm. Heskey had scored three minutes from time, so for them you to know get what? a I, I, run. I disagree with that, because I think from a neutral's point of view, I think when you've got a cup final and it's that bad, the only thing that you're looking forward to is a penalty shootout. Yeah. And when someone uh, right, someone, okay. someone scores right at the end like that, you kind of think, oh, you, you're swine, you know, because he you, you you remember, robbed us. Do you remember that playoff final in, a, was it 96, was it Palace-Leicester when everyone thought it was going to go to penalty? David Hopkin, yeah. Yeah, yes. and uh, did Leicester bring on their reserve keeper because he thought yeah. they thought it was going. Or was it the other way round? I can't. I'm getting confused. But everyone thought oh, this is going to penalties, and we all quite. I remember watching the game, looking forward to the shootout, and then uh, they scored right at the end, and it just it was like a real damp squib because everyone was really looking, trying to make the best out of a terrible game, and then a last minute goal, it ruined it for everyone. So uh, I like, felt like a bit, the golden goal. Oh, yeah, the golden goal. Anti, bad times. Anti climax, really. But I suppose if, unless you're a Tottenham fan, but I just remember that day. That was the only highlight there would have been, really, as a as a penalty shootout. But it was also a game where Justin Edinburgh got sent off. He he, he was the last man ever to get sent off at the old Wembley Stadium, I believe. After. Oh, that's a good one for the pub quiz. Yeah, I have after, that, yeah, I've got that written down. Yeah, and, and he and he got in a in a punch up or, or fisty cuffs with. Well, I've called it a guess hair slap. A hair slap. Yeah. That's what he does. Get with guess who? Well, we know. Probably it. Savage, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, Savage. Yeah. Savage yeah. Yeah, you can't, so. yeah, there's a little kind of scuffle between them. Then Edinburgh gets sent off. A, it, 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 it hits his hair. It is a full-on hair slap. You know, <laughs> this was the time when Savage had those kind of flowy locks more than the what the disaster that he has these days. Um, I'm it, saying it, nothing. <laughs> yeah, your locks are much better. They're much more credible than the dyed locks of Robbie Savage. But yeah, it was more of a hair slap from Justin Edinburgh, who, as Matthew said, became the last player to be sent off at the old Wembley. But other than that, the goal from Alan Nielsen, which is a diving header, and still not as good as Janinho's diving header at uh, uh, Wembley a couple of years before. Um, and other than that, that was, that was pretty much the, what you could talk about this game. There was a one small chance for Leicester where Emil Heskey went through and then Ramon Vega, there's a name from the from the 90s, uh, last-ditch tackle. Well, kind of last-ditch tackle. It makes it sound more dr- dramatic than it actually is, but that really was it for Leicester. Um, the only other notes I've got on this is uh, it was the f- third League Cup for Spurs in their history at the time. It was Leicester's second final in three seasons, as Joel mentioned um, the, uh, the one he met before when they, they beat Middlesbrough um, and lastly I've got Ian Walker looking in his 90s best with those beautiful curtains and one of the classic goalie kits of the year and right at the end there was an orange and day glow blue kind of oh the Hewlett Packard one yes yeah mm. so yeah that was um, yeah because they kind of mid 90s with the 90, where the goalkeeper kits were a bit crazy but this one towards the end as well um was who were they at the time? I completely forgot who. Was it a pony kit? I think it's a pony. pony I think yeah, it, it was a yeah, pony yeah. kit from um, from Tottenham. We're not Music talking. It was quite Cockney funny. Both, yeah, yeah. Both West Ham and Tottenham had pony kits. 
Yeah, they're not rhyme. Whatever happened to Pony? <laughs> Whatever happened to them? They're an American. I, I think they were an American they get, group. Did they get bought out by somebody? Maybe, probably Nike when they went through that phase of buying everybody. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Pony, Pony. I'm going to Google it. Pony, Pony, was, now, Pony responsible just... for some very uh, odd kits in the nineties, weren't they? That notably that West Ham one of the West Ham ninety four. Was it something like that? Yeah, the Dagnan Motors one. Yeah, with the sort of pony tick, because it was a tick, wasn't it? The, um, the yeah, yeah, sort of I think logo. they're still going. I think they're still going. Are they still on the go? Yeah, I think they are. There's been no... Oh, Converse, I think, as they may have bought part of them, but as a company, they're still going. Converse is owned by Nike. Oh, they oh, See, it's like bloody... They own everything. Con- conglomerate, I suppose, is the mm. word. So, yeah, that's what happened to Pony. Um, so, that was the 99... Webington Cup final, 21st of March 1999. Um, I've got the lineups in front of me. I like to pick out names normally, but it was kind of the standard sides of the time that you think of um, from both these teams. That Leicester team that you had Casey Keller, Matt Elliott, and Steve Guppy Lennon, is it that kind of players? Um, there's not really any time that forgot players in there. I suppose Pontus Karmark from Sweden, not many people will remember him. Um, well, I do. Yeah, we do. Well, they, well obviously, remember we remember everyone. But then we would do, yeah. yeah otherwise, we wouldn't be. He's, yeah. the, he's yeah. the one. I've got back to Janino, but he's the, he's the one that marked Janino. Did he score a hat trick against Middlesbrough? He he marked Janino out of the uh, League Cup final, which is the thing that Leicester went. You know, they went to win in '97. Um, we'd gone and played there three weeks previously. This is the total thing, and we'd absolutely destroyed Leicester three-one at their place. And then uh, we had the League Cup final, and O'Neill stuck punches come up to Janino, said, "Stick to him." The one time he got through was when. Uh, Ramalee scored, so yeah, I do remember Pontius Carmack. Ruined my day. Oh, there you go. Um, looking at the Tottenham team, again, big, you know, the names you expect from that team, Ian Walker, and goals you mentioned, Ginola, who was the player of the year that season, despite Man United doing the treble, Ferdinand and Stefan Everson up front, Jose Dominguez is, is a name that, you know, from that era as well, Epson Bardson made me laugh, the reserve goalkeeper, he was... He was probably underrated, actually. Um, but oh, I noticed on the bench for Leicester, Ian Marshall, who's his birthday tomorrow. Oh, the tw- that'll be the 21st. Um, so this would have been his birthday that day. So not a good birthday for him. Former guest of the show. And talking of birthday, gents, I should have said this at the top of the show. We are recording this podcast on Roy Wegerly Day. Happy Roy oh, Wegerly Day. Happy Roy Wegerly Day. How, how, how have you celebrated, Ash? Uh, by tweeting incessantly about how brilliant Roy Wegerly is. And um, I wanted to, to, if I had the locks like Roy Wegley, actually, Joel, you could do it. You've got locks. You could just sort of stroke them. Are you saying there was no hat, <laughs> no baseball cap brought out in that era with Roy Wegley locks? I, I don't think there was. No, I don't think no. we were in the kind of merchandise machine at that no. time. It wasn't at QPR long enough or as a bigger club as we were at the time to warrant such a... Although saying that, years later in the club shop, we did a T-shirt for Emmanuel Desma who lasted about three games and scored a hat-trick in some League Cup game and somehow he got a T-shirt out of it. Yeah, he did play for you later in years. Yeah, Just a random, one of those random foreigners that come over that kind of jump from club to club. I think he was at Rotherham at one point as well. But yeah, he did, really didn't do little for us, but somehow got a T-shirt in the club shop. So, Wiggly should definitely have ever had. But yeah. He could have sold Roy. They could have sold Roy Wigglies. Oh... Sorry, it's late. I'm yes, tired. It's, it's a late one. It's been a long day. No, but yeah, Roy Wegley, I obviously tweeted up that goal against Leeds, which is one of the greatest goals of the decade, was goal of the season in 1990 for ITV. Obviously went on to play for Coventry and Blackburn as well, but he's my hero. I own the only Sabutio figure of Roy Wegley that's sitting on my 
uh, shelf <laughs> next to me as well. Thank you to the brilliant Hallie Inc. So happy birthday, Roy, 54 today. Um, thank you very much. Please come on the podcast. I'm going to keep bugging you until you do. Um, so that's mine out the way. Um, you mentioned it late. What are we drinking tonight, gents, actually? We haven't done our drink check. Is the pear cider on for you, Matthew? No, it's uh, it's a bit of a change-up tonight, actually. It's been... Uh, I come, I've had a, a better offer. Basically, I went into Tesco and I found out you could get uh, 10 bottles of Brasserie French Lager for three quid. So, uh, it's all right, so, isn't it? So, why not? Yeah. Why not? Get it's, it, it's, it reminds me of the stuff... Do you remember back in, probably back in the 90s when people used to go over to, on, to France yes. on, on booze cruises? And the little bottles, and they'd, yeah. And they'd always come back of those stubby bottles. I mean, you don't get that now because you basically can just get the same price beer in the Tesco that you can in... The Calais supermarket. But I always remember my next door neighbour was his dad used to work in France, and he'd always come back with bucket loads of these the boot little stubby cruises. Yeah, and uh, so it's a bit of a nineties flashback, really, but purely based on on price. Joe, what say. are you drinking? Oh, I'm just on the council pop. Oh, council. I've got a, a big glass of water. Yeah, oh. I'm going out tomorrow night. Oh, he's all healthy. He's yeah. saving it up. He's well, saving it for a big night out. I am. I am. Oh, I've got a uh, little bottle of Moretti. That's what I've got. Oh, that's nice. Mm, yeah, I know. Found that the working class, the working class beer. <laughs> the guy in the pizza shop up the road says to me. Oh, really? When, okay. I, when I went in before, he's like, w- "What do you want?" I was like, "Just give me a lager." He went, well, "What lager do you want?" I was like, "Whatever." He went, "Have a Moretti. It's the working man's beer." So yeah, ever I since it, then, I, I bet he still charges about northern six... working class chip on my shoulder. Obviously, yes, I'll have the Moretti. Yes, I'll I bet have he still charges six quid for it, mine. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's the working class beer at London prices. Well, we're working yeah. men tonight, aren't we? So that's that's the beer of mm. choice. Let's um, go back a few years then, although and a few days forward. 24th of March, 1996. This was the Coca-Cola Cup final, a much more apt sponsor at the time. Well, not apt, just makes me more think of 90s Coca-Cola Cup. So rolls of the tongue. Had those brilliant ads, which we've talked about here on before, with the cans in the, in the newspaper that they turned the colours of the two teams. I don't know if they did it this year. They definitely did it for the two years previously, which we'll talk about in the next coming weeks when they sink in the week that we're doing. But this was Aston Villa versus Leeds. Um, a comfortable victory for Aston Villa, but watching the game back, as I did on the highlights, which I'll get to in a minute, because that's a story in its own right, it was a much better game than I remembered. Um, Joel, did you remember this being a better, a more... I thought it was a one-sided game, but Leeds were kind of in it. What did you make of this uh, game from 1996? I had, yeah, I had it in my head that um, Villa were, basically came along and crushed them. And yeah. in my head, I remember it sort of being the end of Wilkinson, really. And, and it's it, it sort of being, you know, common knowledge within, you know, by football fans is, is that it was going to need somebody else to go to Leeds and do a big rebuilding job. And, and that was just a sign of it. You know, I think the fact that Milosevic scored early, he'd been a sort of big money sign in, I think he was 4.5 million. Um, and he hadn't really particularly done the business. And yet he'd scored against Leeds early. And, and, and I don't think that particularly uh, helped him. But I just remembered it being, th- th- that was the thing that stood out for me. Is I remembered a, a Villa cakewalk and the fact that the, 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 the the sort of public perception at the time was that was going to be the end of Leeds and if Leeds were going to be uh, challenges for any sort of silverware that it was probably time for Wilkinson to go. Mm, I mean, well, it was in the end, wasn't it, after this game and in that season. So, uh, But Matthew, mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts on, on this game? Much better game than the one we've just discussed and uh, uh, like you say, Milosevic really came good, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Well, when, I, when we discussed, when we decided we were going to talk about this, I really had no real recollection of the game, um, which is a surprise, really, because it was, what, 25 years ago. But then subsequent research made me realise why. And it's because 
on the same day, United had Tottenham and beat them 1-0, um, which I'm sure I was at that game. So I probably didn't watch this, but it just... And then it made me think this was probably really on the cusp of when the League Cup started to become a little bit diluted, the fact that they started... Because was it not an evening kick? Was Did it not kick off at about 5 o'clock? It was a later kick-off than normal. Yeah, yeah. and um, so I, I can't remember whether I was watching the United game or what. But for some reason... On, I, I mean, this game was on ITV, I really remember that. Mm. Yeah. No, we'll talk, we'll talk ITV about ITV in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But I just remember this sort of bit, the era of the League Cup just starting to become a little bit watered down. It was obviously at the time when Ferguson was treating it with a bit of uh, contempt, really, using it to, to blood a lot of the youngsters and what have you. But I just remember it because it was on at a weird time. And I think it was on at four or five o'clock. And it was dark, wasn't it, by the time the game finished? Because I'm sure I remember the Villa players parading yeah. the, the yeah, cup round. In the dark, it was, yeah. It, it, was, it, was, it was floodlit. But, um, yeah, it was, it's, again, it was, it's strange, isn't it, talking about Villa then? Because they, they had the nucleus of a, a really decent team didn't they compared to I know they're on the up a bit nowadays but um, they, weren't the, then, they, they weren't the other week when Keith Bell came to town but well, well no they had a bit of a blip but keep it in my bet. yeah thanks for that yeah, I'll never put Villa in you accumulate never put Keith Bell as well God, sorry, well no I never do <laughs> um, so yeah that's really the only real what I remember of it is, is it sort of clashing with a with a Premier League game and it, that, that being because now you kind of take it for granted that the League Cup final was on at the same time as about four other games yeah. isn't it but in the years, in the sort of early, well, obviously the late eighties, early nineties, the League Cup final was still the sort of one of the crown jewels, wasn't it? It was on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon, terrestrial TV. It was the the only game on. Whereas by this time, it had almost become sort of on the undercard to a Sky Super Sunday game, and this was uh, this was one of those occasions. But yeah, Count Fort Villa, um, pretty convincing performance, and like Joel said, it was a sort of end of that Leeds team that. Had, pretty much been on a high from having won the league in 92 um, and sort of went on a bit of a decline ever since then didn't they and it culminated with this defeat which did, did Wilkinson go the, the, that the end summer. of that season yeah that summer yeah, yeah. yeah. I had, do you know what until I watched it back I hadn't realised he was still there at that point I thought he'd gone before that the timeline had gone a bit skewy in my head but yeah I didn't realise he was still there kind of four years after they won the league as well so um, still the last English manager to win the of course yeah of course he is yeah never so, still waiting for the first Premier League one I think we've been waiting a while as well um, there was here's couple... a question for you gentlemen sorry well Matthew probably more for you than, than for Ash but how responsible is Alex Ferguson and Manchester United for the decline of those two domestic cup competitions in this country the League Cup and the FA Cup um, well, I suppose I suppose you'd have to say he has played a part in it. I only, and this gets thrown at me quite a lot, and people say, "Oh, if it wasn't for Fergie," but, but I still, I'd defend his right to do that uh, because it doesn't mean everyone else has to do it. You know, I mean, you look at look at the FA Cup, particularly now, most teams play make ten changes, even yeah. teams in the second division, even teams in mid table that were safe, and people say, "Oh, that's Fergie's fault." And I think, well, in Fergie's defence. A lot of the of the nineties, he was fighting on three fronts, and if if somebody was fighting on three fronts now, which rarely happens, they would most definitely make changes. He did, whether it's right or wrong is up for debate. But I don't see why suddenly now that seemed, that everyone seems to think that's what you have to do. And if if they've done it purely to copy Alex Ferguson, then that's a huge credit to a huge compliment to him, isn't it? Really, but um, I suppose at the time he he 
he probably belittled it, but then he would say that he had every right to, and, and the fact that they, United won as much as they did, I suppose, justified his, his decision. He would say he's not there to make a cup competition popular, he's there to win trophies, so he, he prioritised. But And another flip side to that is, I suppose you'd say that all the, a lot of those kids, famously United played at Port Vale, didn't they, in 94, mm-hmm. 5, something like yeah. that, and everyone moaned, and people wrote letters to their MP, and people kicked up a fuss, <laughs> and then it, you, you, look, you look at that team that played that night, with the exception of our friend Brian McClare, um, it was basically the, the team that would go on, and you know, there were a lot of youngsters there that, that came through the ranks, and um, became household names so it's I suppose you can take it either way if you want to knock Fergie and not United then by all means yes I blame them for that but I think there's plenty of other reasons why the, the League Cup isn't isn't as popular as it used to be and the same I with the prefer, FA Cup I prefer the League Cup to the FA Cup I, I do anyway yeah. and yeah. I don't know why the Carabao yeah. Cup well, yeah, <laughs> keep it, keep it terrible, terrible name. Um, I, I kind of agree with, with Matthew. I think the League Cup, and especially in the nineties, when the smaller squads, I think when they were, you know, had to be playing on three fronts, he had to sacrifice and prioritise. And, and unfortunately, the League Cup became that thing, and that, that happened to most of the big teams. And now everybody does that to it, which is a shame. But it does. I do kind of when I'm like you, when the League Cup ties come out in the first week of the season, you get to see the other end of the squad. So I kind of like that kind of version of it. Um, I do think he has a big role in the FA Cup demise and, and going out of it and deciding not to be in it in that sort of, was it 90, 90,000 season? Well, I don't, I don't, there's, it's an argument, where, there is an argument to suggest he didn't have much choice. I'm not, yes. you know, I, oh, I don't, I agree, we don't yeah. know. I just think the, the knock-on effect was the beginning, whether it was his choice or not. So that started, I think, where we see the FA Cup today, where, you know, Monsieur Pochettino doesn't even care about it, despite the fact they're in the semi-finals. He's come out and said it's not really for them. And they might but see, I still, I still don't see how you can blame Alex Ferguson for that, because, I mean, it's really got nothing to do with it, is it? I mean, if Tottenham want to go out and go and win the FA Cup, that's up to them. If they don't, then more for them. I don't see really... It, I think Ferguson only had... You know, it was, it was his, his risk, risk to take, and, and more often than not, it worked. So... But why other teams feel they have to do it, I don't know. It's almost like sort of Emperor's New Clothes, isn't it? It's, it's almost it's more the, you know, the withdrawing from the FA Cup. I would put down more than playing a, a weakened team. I've got no problem with that. I think that's what happens in this day and age. And there's, I, I think playing the semi-finals at Wembley is, is a much more reason, bigger reason why the sort of oh, FA Cup's yeah. been weakened because it's not the road to Wembley anymore. It's the road to the semi-finals and, and little it's things the road like to that. Tottenham's ground. It's the road to Tottenham's ground. We've played nearly every sort of game this season apart from the I think the quarterfinal against Swansea at Wembley which is ridiculous so the, it's an argument for you know a longer podcast but I, th- I can see both sides of the argument um, I guess yeah um, I think it's I think it's one of many factors that uh, yeah totally. brought the two yes. you know, yeah. the two cups downward one of many uh, there's mm. plenty of other things I think the fact that you don't know when the games are on now especially the FA Cup I mean you just don't know when the games are on you're, you're doing something and someone says oh Tottenham one or whatever, and you think, well, oh, I know, I didn't even know there was a game going on, and then you have to check, and it's a twelve fifteen kickoff. Then there's a one at oh, two o'clock. And then there's one at seven forty-five. That was a around new random yeah, time I mean, this weekend. I thought it was a half. I assumed it was a half five kickoff. Then saw it was even later. But the very uh, did the same. The Liverpool West Brom game was uh, sort of quarter to eight on a Saturday night as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they're shoehorning in that that will be the Premier League kickoff time for next season and, and the season yeah. after. I think that's twelve. Half seven Saturday night game, so it's something that we're all going to get used to. But Joel, do you know that because it clashed with the voice? 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that is absolutely how I know because we didn't get the number one in the trending charts on Twitter. Yeah, it was uh, it was that it was that Liverpool West Brom. So yeah, well, that's very good detective work there. Yeah, Ashwell, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm awake even though it's quite late now. Um, on that kind of note, one of the uh, we'll talk about the highlights package in a minute because it's uh, another quirk of the '90s. But in the opening commentary on the highlights, I watched um, Brian Moore, bless him, great commentator of the decade, calls uh, the the prospect of going into the UEFA Cup money spinning, which I don't think uh, managers and fans <laughs> think that of the Europa League, which is now of course the UEFA Cup anymore, which made me laugh. Um, it was Villa's fifth. Uh, League Cup win this game which uh, they equaled Liverpool at the time um, they, and they beat Arsenal in the semi-finals um, another uh, thing that made me laugh from Brian Moore that Gary Speed played despite breaking his cheekbone 31 days previously which is a nice little quirk and the guy uh, I bet he didn't I bet he didn't have one of those stupid uh, no he did not Gary Speed Undertaker masks on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah mid 90s Undertaker um, but the, yeah, as you mentioned, the goals. Dwight York scored the third goal. Milosevic, a belter, actually. He scored the uh, the opening goal in 20 minutes, and Ian Taylor, Villa, born and bred, scored the second goal. What quickly wanted to talk about, I don't know if you guys watched this link that I sent over, but the highlights package that um, ITV showed, I assume, later that night after they showed the live game, like they normally do these days as well. Gary Newborn presented, and you get your usual guff of you know him pitch side and then the highlights package which showed the game a much better game as I said Gary Newborn the Harold Bishop of ITV very much, yeah, <laughs> very much the Harold Bishop I forgot he even existed until I watched this package but what's absolutely uh, just I couldn't believe I was seeing I don't think I've ever seen it since or before I don't even remember seeing it at the time because I don't know if I would have wait, stayed up and watched this highlights package but not only do they do the our post-match interviews on the pitch and you got every, you know Andy Townsend which is quite funny to see him and the, that voice that we've all come quite familiar with better better as he says all the time but interview on the pitch and a couple of others they then go into the dressing rooms which okay yeah you kind of see that every now and then mark draper eating some sandwiches some interviews with uh, with dwight york on on sitting on the bench half naked and stuff getting back to May united's video again but then they go to the after party they actually let itv loose at the sort of post-match celebrations in some west end restaurant stroke nightclub and sit there interviewing everyone in their suits with their girlfriends and wives <laughs> it's absolutely insane I've never seen anything like it it's just it's like Gary Newborn's this uninvited guest and everyone has to talk to him he talks to Doug Ellis he's wearing a disgustingly horrible shirt even for the time he talks to uh, Paul McGrath who I forgot was still playing at that point and his wife says they play better when he plays don't they which is and leaves Gary Newborn a bit spun on his toes so yeah did you guys manage to watch this and um, I mean Joel you should would appreciate this TV bit of TV gold as well I, I just, it's another one of them. You just can't believe somebody within the club has allowed them to do it again. You know, and the fact that they're having a celebratory party after the match anyway, because now you wouldn't be doing that. You'd be straight on and concentrating with the next game. Whereas even then, with the League Cup, it was kind of like, all right, lads, job done. You know, they were in Europe. They weren't challenging for anything. So yeah, um, completely wild, but bizarre. Did you manage to, to watch it, Matthew? What did you think of it? Yeah, well, ITV did break a few barriers. I remember United beating Leeds over two legs in the 91 semi-final um, and went on to play Sheffield Wednesday in the final and get mm. beaten. And they beat Leeds away in the second leg and went through. And Newbomb again and the ITV t- crew went into the changing room. I remember them interviewing Les Seeley and a few players and they were t- tipping beer. I think Newbomb got... A can of beer tipped on his head, and, and that. so ITV did like that sort of. Um, I think they were seen as a little bit more adventurous than BBC at the time. I think the BBC were looked upon as a, a bit more sort of belt and braces and, and the grey suits and uh, match of the day and Des and, and Mossy and ITV. When they got a game, they tended to 
pushed the barriers a little bit more, which which they then went on to do when they got the match with the great Elton Wellesley a few years. Do you like later it later as a concept? Do you like, or would you? Are we so conditioned to see the sort of highlights that we see now, or would you just like to see that nowadays? I loved it at the time. I mean, as a kid, I mean, I remember when they went into that changing room at Leeds when United were high, you'd never seen anything like no. it. Seen United players having a can of lager and having a laugh. I tell you what, I'd love to see it now because, like Joel says, you just wouldn't. There'd be there'd be some press officer there not letting anyone do this. There'd be someone saying you've got to stand there. You got you don't see any of that natural behaviour now. And um, yeah, I, I loved. I mean, the, the match. I mean, I I loved that again. I love the fact. I love the branding. I love the way they brought new concepts in. They had the camera in the goal mouth. They had the vote for your man of the match. They had a magazine that went with it. You know, all that kind of stuff. So ITV, I like the way that they um, they pushed it at the time. I think this was a sort of uh, an introduction to obviously by the time this game came around that we're talking about sky had come along and, and pushed the boundaries even further so maybe itv thought well we've got to we've got to keep up with sky in the, you know, the few years they had left of, of showing top flight football really but no i i loved it i think like I, I think football now you don't see anything now do you unless it's it's been checked off by a press officer or an official and, and the, an agent it, and a manager yeah, and a club. It, yeah. It, 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 even interviews i mean you mentioned it in that in the in the pod you did on that United um, video, you don't see interviews. You used to get after-match interviews where the manager would be stood usually in a boardroom or in a corridor with a, a, a teak wooden panel behind him or, or boots. You'd have the classic boots when you're hanging up in the changing room on the pegs. I mean, now it's always got to be in that little booth with all the sponsors' names and it's just it's just so sort of... Yeah, it's the same all the time, isn't it? So it's, yeah. it's really refreshing. Like yeah, for try and mix it up, but it did make me laugh and just to see Newborn just running around that West End restaurant. Brilliant bit of PTV. I'll put it on Twitter so you guys can, can give it a watch. But yeah, it really did make me laugh. Um, just a, a tiny one more thing on this game before we move on because we're, we're half an hour in. We haven't even reached subject number two yet. So it's going to be a long one. Um, it's the, Andy Gray played in this game, which was a bit of a shock at the time. Uh, young Leeds striker, he played up front with Tony Yaboa. And I only realised when I was doing a bit of research on the game, he only retired in 2014, which isn't really, well, that, long, which isn't really that long ago. Where, where, where was he playing? Where, where was his last club? He was last at Bradford. Uh, he went back really? to Leeds just before that, but I kind of, I didn't really sort of put two and two together. He was that Andy Gray that went on to play for Burnley and Shelton. Um, kind of in the mid to late 2000s but yeah um, you've had a really good game in that one as well a lot of Leeds chances fell to, to Andy Gray and also Mark Ford played in that game another Leeds youngster as well um, that switched tack slightly then um, from cup winners um, as we're going chronologically I'm just going to quickly touch on this it wasn't a subject that I mentioned in the intro um, but on the 22nd of March 1994 this is uh, especially for Matthew, because he mentioned it as well. Um, Eric Cantona's famous double red cards in consecutive games. Um, Joe, I didn't mention this in your notes. I don't know how much you remember uh, of these two games, but um, I found the Swindon one online, the, the stamp on the Swindon one is the stamp, isn't yeah. it? I yeah. do remember that, yeah. Um, this well, is... I was... I was actually at both those games, so I remember it very, I remember it pretty well. You could talk, then. Yeah, I mean, well, the, I mean, the stamp comes off a bit of a, a scuffle with John Moncur, doesn't it? I mean, he's not an innocent in the whole sort of incident. Um, no, Moncur played him completely. Like fiddle, really, oh, completely, yeah. Uh, um, it was. I remember that trip to Swindon. We went down to Swindon, and, and the wheels were just starting to. I wouldn't say they were coming off United, but they were certainly wobbling and, and getting loose. They were United were running away with that league right up until you know, from Christmas. Really, they were. I think they were 10, 12 points clear all the way through. And then they started to panic slightly. And if you watch the highlights of that Swindon game, you can start to see the, the, 
the panic set in really the players just started to lose their cool a bit um Hugh's got an altercation with the, some of the Swindon fans down the side, and uh, and then yeah, Cantona and, and uh, John Moncur wasn't it got into a bit of a tangle on the halfway line. It was a it was a nothing challenge really. I think yeah. Moncur would have probably got penalised, probably got a Cantona would have got a free kick because he, he was sort of holding it. He had his legs wrapped round one of Cantona's standing legs, but then Cantona decided to just well, it was a kick stroke stamp, wasn't it, onto uh, Moncur's chest stomach and he really he really let him have it didn't he and there was uh, there was no argument with with that one at all but it and it, but it, it, it set the wheels in motion for a bit of a panicky awesome for united because he was obviously sent off and then he missed three three games for for that red card and then i'm not sure what happened back there i don't know whether he missed the immediate game but i remember that united playing arsenal yeah and that was the game uh, which, yeah and i was at that game as well and again it was a 2-2 because um, United had drawn 2-2 at Swindon which was a terrible result seeing as Swindon were awful that game and um, played Arsenal midweek game and sure enough Cantona got sent off again for what at the time I was on the near side and it sort of happened on the far side and everyone just assumed he'd done the same thing he, he went and went for a challenge I think it was Tony Adams Tony, yeah I couldn't uh, find any footage of it online but I'm pretty sure it was Tony Adams and it looked pretty bad and again we've talking at a time where you never you didn't say anything until you got home that night or even the next day or what have you and at the time it looked pretty bad and I remember Cantona walking off and Ferguson shaking his head and whatever but if you look if you do find footage of it and see it it actually isn't that bad they sort of go in for a full-blooded challenge you know both feet up and they, Cantona sort of crashes into Adams and Adams goes hits the floor but it wasn't really a kick or a stamp it was more of a I suppose nowadays it would be called reckless, but I don't think Cantona was going for the man. It's certainly not like he was with Moncur. He was guilty of sin, but this, I think he was hard done to, and, and I think it came off the back of what happened at, at Swindon, um, but he was obviously sent off, and United then got it. It was another 2-2, and United dropped more points, and uh, it was a bit of a wobbly ride before they finally clinched that title as it was that season. But uh, yeah, I, I try and find that footage because I, I remember at the time thinking, what have you done? And, and I remember Ferguson, because I was in the, in the main stand that night. I remember being behind the dugout and Ferguson just looked like he thought, what have you done? Uh, you've done it again. And I think, don't think they really looked at each other as Cantona walked down the tunnel. But, um, but in fairness, it was more of a, I think it was more of a reckless collision than a, than a, than a sort of callous stamp that Cantona was known for at the time. So I defend him on that one. But, yeah. The, Probably yeah, the Swindon one, yeah. There's not much defence, and no. Brian, Brian Hill sent him off, which is the referee's name well, that I didn't really remember from the past. Um, but well, yeah. I tell you, I tell you why. I tell you why Brian Hill wasn't liked by United. He, there were two occasions. Do you remember the classic FA Cup? Well, it wasn't a classic, but the, the FA Cup quarter final of '89. United got knocked out by Nottingham Forest. Right, old yeah. Shepherd, yeah. One nil, one nil. Gary Parker, but United had a goal that I, mean, I was at that game that day as well, and. Um, I think it was Brian Robson had a chance that everyone at the time thought it was about three yards over the line. It was a classic, you know, it was well over wherever you were. And Brian Hill disallowed it. And then the following season, United had Tottenham at home at Christmas and Brian Hill disallowed two United goals again. Uh, and Ferguson just didn't like him. This was the, the beginning of Ferguson sort of singling out, <laughs> singling out referees. And, and I think he openly said that he never wanted Brian Hill refereeing a United game ever again. And, um, 
I kind of agreed with him at the time because I was you know, <laughs> young and impressionable. And um, sure enough, he came back and he refereed the game at, at the county ground, Swindon, and sent Canton off. But to be honest, even if Stevie Wonder had been refereeing that game, I think he would have sent Canton yeah, off. I mean, you can't. It's a horrible. You can't blame. Time. You can't blame Brian Hill for that. And in yeah. fairness to Brian Hill, if you look at it, he he sort of went and conferred with his linesman. God knows why, because he was stood right there when it happened. But he did go in and check with his linesman, who, who confirmed what he saw, and, and he sent him off. So I think it would have been harsh to. I'd love to know whether Fergie did try and blame Brian Hill for that afterwards, because I don't see how you can really. Mm. Uh, one man who's not happy in that footage as well is Brian Kilcline, who's playing for Swindon at the time. Who's a yeah, if anyone remembers Brian Kilcline, massive fella, big hair, big beard. And yeah, and he's, he roars right in on Cantona, and that's a match I'd like to see. Um, is there <laughs> any referee, Joel, that Middlesbrough have got the ump with? Because we had Rob Styles at QPR for a while that he seemed to not like us, but was there any, any referee in Burroughs Pass that you get the ump with? Nobody's sort of jumping out. I mean, you know, David Ellery was always a hero with us because of the Chesterfield business. Of course. <laughs> which was which was blatantly a goal for Chesterfield, but, um, you know, he wouldn't allow it. And he, I think Ellery later said in his book that he was still claiming it uh, It wasn't a goal when it was. So, you know, talk about a man who's uh, very stubborn and, you know, belief in himself to the point of being completely wrong. Um, but no, nobody jumps out. Somebody will probably t- uh, tweet and remind me of some... I remember plenty of shocking decisions, but I don't even mm. remember any specific... Refs. I mean, I'm not a fan of Mike Dean myself, but <laughs> that's a different Show, story. Showbiz Mike Dean, yeah. Uh, mm. Talking to referees, that segues us into our next little subject slightly. Um, Monday, 24th of March, 1997, a game live on Sky between Arsenal and Liverpool. Liverpool wearing that great accrue kit. There's your bingo card. Hey, ding, 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 um, ding. And this is an odd one because. Everyone will remember what happened. Uh, it was it was a win for for Liverpool on the day, um, a two one win. But the goal that everyone seems to remember was the penalty non penalty for for Liverpool, the the winning goal that eventually scored by Jason McAteer. But it was the decision beforehand where Robbie Fowler goes well, a beautiful ball from Mark Wright, which is you know you didn't see many of them from his locker at the time. Um, downfield, he comes one on one with the keeper Dave Seaman, and the, he goes down in a collision, which was seems at the time Gerald Ashby is the referee, gives the penalty. Um, Robbie Fowler gets up, pleads his case to say no, no, it wasn't a penalty. The, co- the commentator are confused. Trevor Francis has never seen anything like it, um, and he p- protests the innocent, saying that Seaman didn't touch him. The penalty is still given. Uh, he misses it, which is con- you know. We don't know if he meant to miss it or not. And then McAteer hits the rebound and, and, and scores the goal that ends up wins the game. But um, as you see from replays, he doesn't actually touch him. He does his momentum, just takes Robbie Fowler down. Um, not, it's not even really a dive. It is more of his momentum. But it's such a bizarre piece of... You don't really see it often, this honesty from football, especially Robbie Fowler at the time. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about his uh, clash with Graham Lasso. Um, Joe, what do you remember about this um, unique incident from this game? And it, well, we've the only other thing you could compare it to is the Canio, yeah, against Everton, isn't it? yeah. Um, and the and the other thing I was thinking about it was the Arsenal Sheffield United replay, um, but that came from a bit of gamesmanship from Arsenal anyway. So I don't think you could particularly count that the business with Canio and Overmars and yeah, Overmars scoring when mm, yeah, um, the you know you should have yeah, got from the throw to, on, yeah, yeah, yeah a bit of bit of that then. Um, so, so yeah, it was incredible. One thing when I was doing my research on this that I thought was quite telling was when um, Fowler said Seaman was my mate. He was my t- he was like my teammate at England level, but we were actually mates and we got on. And I think 
that probably more than anything because y- you can't tell me if it was Peter Schmeichel he would have done the same thing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, uh, um, so so that's that's kind of what I thought was that with the instant thing, and yeah, the penalties an interesting one, isn't it? Because that's not how Robbie Fowler t- would normally take a penalty. I was surprised going back and watching it with 2018 eyes. Why would you give it to Fowler to take after that? Because mm, yeah. you've got to think one way or the other, his head's not going to be right. Well, he said, I mean, he said it was just a bad penalty, didn't he? That's what he, it's a, mm. he's been quoted to say, but it, it's not a penalty you're used to seeing from Robbie. And you're right, I think, with whatever it happened, and you could see he was not in the right frame of mind to take it then. So, Well, considering, you know, you also, I think, <coughs> Holly Moore was playing that game as well. Yeah. Uh, McManaman. So uh, there was, John Barnes. There was other, yeah, yeah. There was other people that, that that could have took it. So it seems it seems quite peculiar that you know he probably you know he would have been the last if I was a Liverpool fan. He would have been the last person I would be wanting to take take that penalty at that point if that's just gone on because just because of the magnitude of the uh, of what's gone on, your head's not going to be right. And if you know if you've got something subconscious inside of you that wasn't a penalty, that wasn't a penalty, then, you know, who knows what's going to happen. You're certainly not going to be giving it the 100% that you you normally would be. And we all know that Fowler was ice cool in that sort of situation normally. Mm. There's a good quote from uh, Jamie Carragher, who was on the bench at the time. He says, I remember <laughs> yeah, Ronnie Moran this. going berserk and screaming, what's he doing? Ian Wright would have... Ian Wright wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have done that. Wouldn't yeah. done it, yes. Yeah, he couldn't believe what he saw, Jamie Carragher says. Matthew, could you what? believe what you saw from your favourite team of the North? <laughs> um, no, thinking back, I mean, I tell you what, it's nice to actually say some positive things about Robbie Fowler because we gave him a right slating the other week, we and, um, us, yeah. and then the very next day he got my mate two tickets for him and his son to go and watch Liverpool. And um, my mate, my mate said he's a great, he's a top bloke and a real nice guy and everything. So he's I did a good landlord. I did well. He's, he probably owns it. Might the place I'm, I'm sitting talking to you in right now. I think he owns pretty much every other building in Liverpool. Get so, him on uh, the show then through your connection, landlord connections. Let's talk to Robbie Fowler. Well, I tell you who owns this building. If you is Les Dennis. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. I don't rightly yeah. know. Yeah, he uh, he owns a few buildings on this street. It's an old mill building on the um, near the Albert Dock, and uh, I think yeah, he a, a cafe opened up a couple of years ago. Um, and on the opening night, he was there because he, he owns the buildings. So, uh, so I know it's not Robbie Fowler. But he probably owns the one. He probably owns the one next Les Dennis. There's two names I didn't think we'd mention when I started tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Almost nineties name. Well, yeah. Family fortunes, um, Mavis. Yeah. So yeah. So my mate basically convinced me that Fowler's a, a top bloke, and like I say, he got him tickets for. Um, I think he got him tickets for that Liverpool the nil nil in the uh, second leg of that European game that they. Slaughtered Porto, so I think he gets three tickets to the only nil-nil game that Liverpool have had this season. But anyway, but um, yeah, I think I think fair play to Fowler. But what I do think is, I'm surprised this sort of thing doesn't happen more often. Not so much the claiming it wasn't a dive, but there's always that in between now, isn't there? That you can't sort of go down in the box without it being a dive or a penalty. But if you think about it, if someone comes out, whether it's a keeper or a defender, if someone dives in at your feet. Of course, you're going to go over. So I, I, I can see where Fowler was coming from. That he obviously just tried to get out of the way of the keeper and, and went over. I suppose the surprising thing was that he he got up and motioned that it that it wasn't a penalty. I suppose that's that's what shocked everybody. But um, but no, good good on him. But um, like you say, Ian Wright wouldn't have done it. But then, as we saw with Peter, Peter Schmeichel, Ian Wright would have probably left his foot in on the, the keeper's throat like he did on Peter Schmeichel. Yeah, a no, couple of years before. Been, but, um, it, it was Liverpool's first penalty for more than two years. Yeah, I saw that stat. How how amazing is that? 
Well, that, makes up for all, that makes up for the previous 15 years when they had about penalty, <laughs> uh, two penalties every game. <laughs> well, we hit, hit him on the nerve there. That's probably why Robbie Fellow wanted to take it. He'd be waiting two years to bloody take one, then he missed one. Uh, but lucky for him, his old pal and our wash-and-go commercial, yep, check it on YouTube, he was in a wash-and-go commercial, Jason McAteer scored his first ever Liverpool goal, and that was the winning game, a winning goal in that game. Uh, in an entertaining Monday night football, that was, as we, we've said before, the, when the Monday night footballs used to have proper games and they weren't just, you know, Wigan Stoke or something like that. No disrespect to those teams, but they weren't the big games that we saw back in the, the 90s. Um, I think Wigan Athletic have the best kit in football at the minute. You, you are, you're a bit partial to the old capper, are you? I like that kappa with the intersport. I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. You're an Adidas man, though. I am an Adidas man, but every time I see that kit when they played the other day, I was like, yeah, wonderful. That's a lovely kit. It's a bit tight, is what I would say. All kappa kits are a little bit Well, they're, all, they're yeah. all a bit tight with these muscular young men. Yeah, they are a bit snug, the kappa. Uh, did you used to do that kappa trick when you were a kid at school? That, that sort of naughty trick if you cover the top yes, of the kappa? Yes. Yeah. Try it if you don't know what I mean. But just as a, while we're talking about Kappa, did I send you the picture of me in the Manchester City kit from I 1997? I saw it on Twitter. Yes, that lovely <laughs> kit that's got brother. Was it? 90, it looks like it was from about 1969. <laughs> <laughs> was that from? I think I think the decor in the house that I was sitting in was probably from about 1969. Yeah. <laughs> I assume, and I think you probably told me this before, it had something to do with your passion for Oasis rather than Manchester City, didn't it? Well, I mean, to me, it was because of my love of Oasis at the time. But what I used to say was uh, obviously because my cousin was playing for of Manchester course, City yeah. at the time, Mr. Beagley. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, so, that, so I used to say it was because of him. But it's a nice nah, kit, though. It's because it's it's oh, it's a lovely kit. It took me forever to get it. Yeah. But in, in, the, in those pre-internet days, yeah, I had to go searching for it. But I eventually got one. Yeah, lovely kit. I wish I still had it. It's I, nice think, that. I think Man City should always be sponsored by Brother. That is one like we talked about a few weeks ago. The, the sponsors, Man City's Brother, isn't it? That's when you look at them. Yeah. You think you think Brother. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's, we've got one more thing to, to talk about, really, and we're going to let Joel a little bit loose on this one. Twenty fourth of March, nineteen ninety eight. Paul Gascoigne came home to English football after his spell at Rangers. Now, at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, Joel Burrow, you were in the first division weren't you you're a first division club yeah so his, how did Gazza uh, end up because he was only 31 at the time 3.5 million signed in by Brian Robson why did Gazza drop why didn't he come into the Premier League I couldn't really remember this at the time maybe you can shed some light why I, chose I you lot. as as we've said before um I think I think Brian Robson yeah um I think Brian Robson I think the fact that the club were looking and, and looking and did get you know looking towards getting getting promoted Robson had done the same a couple of seasons before where he brought in Fjord and uh, Uwe Fuchs right near you know and he, and he was a fan of that sort of buying those kind of players who could come in and have an impact at the end of the season he did it later on with Marco Branca as well Brian Robson so I, for Gaza I would have thought that I would have thought he was coming home to the North East uh, it was a club where he was going to be looked after supported um and, 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 you know, and we were definitely back on the up after everything. You know, I, I've, I've said this a million times, but we were on to get him uh, if we'd have stayed up this, the season before. You know, the, the, the crazy four of Ince and Gascoigne who ended up coming and playing at the club anyway. And then Des Walker and then um, Romario. Oh, <laughs> imagine, just imagine. 
Ravnelli and Romario, Virginio oh, behind them. I'd want, an, I'd want an inside borough DVD or video of that season if that ever well, happens. It's, it's funny because it, uh, we've already mentioned Andy Townsend and, uh, and when he came and signed for us in the in the 1990s. I don't know whether I mentioned this the other day, but um, Townsend admitted on Radio Five a few weeks ago that when he when he came to Middlesbrough, Brian Robson said he's like, "Oh, we can't do your medical." He's like, "I'm not quite right, Brian. I'm not quite right." You know, he's like. <laughs> So um, Brian, Brian Robson says to Andy Townsend, i tell you what we'll do. Tell you what we'll do for your medical. Why don't you just touch your toes? We'll see what we can do. And when Andy Townsend couldn't touch his toes, Brian Robson signed him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it was that kind of club as well at the time, you know. I mean, famously, you know, uh, Brian Robson moved Gascoigne in a house with Townsend and Merson. And they so, had a I mean, wine club, a sick... wine games I read or somewhere. They used to do on a Friday or Saturday night or after the games, they used to all sink a bottle of wine until one of them... Oh, they used to put yeah, sleeping so... tablets in wine. Sleeping and like... tablets and wine. Yeah. You just I mean, answered just... your own question there. You just asked why Middlesbrough, so yeah. why Gascoigne <laughs> went to Middlesbrough, and you just come out with that. So all that talk about Brian Robson, it's uh, nothing to do with that at all. Well, although it probably was a lot to do with Brian Robson. I'm sure Brian Robson was yeah. the game. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, I mean, the club was a madhouse. I mean, he famously nicked the bus oh, while the he bus was crash is brilliant. Well, I mean, just for anybody that doesn't know this story, um, at training one day, he went and got the team bus, a Compass Royston bus. The brand new team bus. Brand, brand new team new. bus. Yeah, went out, drove it, picked some people up from a bus stop, went and drove round in it for a bit. And then uh, pulled it back in, and just on the way back into the car park at Rockcliffe, uh, crashed it. <laughs> so, lots of silly things going on on with Gaza. That, t- that must take some doing, that, driving a, a coach. I mean, it can't be the easiest thing. Oh, yeah, but if, if you read Danny Baker's books, he sort of, he had previous in going and sort of hijacking's the wrong word, commandeering buses. Yeah. And because he was, cause he was Gaza, then he kind of got away with it, and people let him do it. Um, but yeah, he was made to pay for it. But uh, there can't be many, and maybe this is one for somebody out in Twitterland to answer for us because I uh, I can't think of any off the top of his head. But he made his debut, his club debut for us at Wembley. Yeah, in the, um, as a sub, wasn't in he? In the League Cup League Cup final against Chelsea, there can't be many who've made a debut in a cup final. I can't think of because most of the time that players are cup tied, aren't they? Because they would have it's usually cup played. tied, or you know, you're long past the sort of transfer deadline anyway for it to sort of make sense. So there the can't be many. He came on for. Uh, I think he got. He got. Yeah. He, he gave Craig Hignett his uh, losers medal because Hignett had done really well in the cup run, and then of course um, Brian Robson put Gascoigne in. Um, I thought at the time it was a calculated gamble that didn't work. And this is, you know, and and everybody wanted it to work. And obviously, everybody loves Paul Gascoigne and him being back in England, back in the Premier League, uh, you know, uh, well, back in England's top division eventually. Um, and it was just one of them. I remember he had a really good game against Manchester City in, you know, what was then Division One, now the Championship, where uh, we won on a Friday night game, back when Friday night games were still a novelty. And he scored a really clever goal when we won away at Filbert Street, I think, in. Uh, 1999, back in 1998 or 1999, I can't quite remember, um, where he uh, just won a free kick and he just takes it across the box and pops it past Casey Keller. And on the pitch, I think unfortunately that was the um, that was the highlight of 
Gaz's career, but stories galore. Yeah. <laughs> Forty-eight games, four goals. I mean, it's not the you know, it's not the best, the yeah. biggest achievement of his of Paul Gascoigne's career. Um, and then he had that, that clash, broken elbow with, with George Bocan. I remember that kind of led. Yeah, to broke the, his uh, broke his broke his arm on his face. Yeah. yeah. I remember that that kind of led to the end really didn't it he didn't really recover from that and then there was that weird those weird stories that he had blackouts from a, after the death of a friend during a night out that affected his form as well so there was a lot of stories and like you say Middlesbrough being a madhouse at the time didn't help Matthew I mean at the time as an outsider did you think it was a good move for Borough quite a surprising move what do you remember about Gazza's home, homecoming <laughs> I just seem to remember it as being a sort of the next chapter of the whole Gaza story, really. I mean, I think, to be fair, I think the range at the, the time he had at Rangers was probably the sort of end of his real... I know it, it probably wasn't the same. I mean, Rangers were obviously winning everything back then, but after he left Rangers, he just seemed to go on a bit of a sort of a, like a farewell tour, didn't he, really? I mean, he could, obviously after Burry went to... Everton, but it's just looking back. It's funny to think. It's hard to believe it's the same Gaza that was playing. You know that we remember in, in World Cup '19, even before then at Newcastle, and then that great spell he had at Spurs before he um, he injured himself. It just seems like a different generation, doesn't it? To think of to think to talk of him like this now as some kind of comical character. To think that he was the, the same guy that what 15 odd years before was, was yeah. one of the most exciting talents in, in English football I mean it's not I mean it's nothing that hasn't been said before obviously how his career ended up but really at the time this just seemed I, I think if you're outside of the Middlesbrough bubble I, I think it kind of passed you by really without sounding disrespectful I just don't think it really he just didn't really register on, with anyone really because uh, it's just another one of those moves that probably I think he was desperate to for another challenge, another club to go to to try and revitalize, revitalize his career. So, yeah. I think what we what, what most people would wish about him um, is that from Lazio he'd come back to the English league then and then maybe yeah. gone to Scotland. But yeah. I think going going up to Scotland, which um, I mean, it isn't disrespectful to say that the the, the Scottish league. Like and even then, when it was miles better than it is now, was miles off the English league. Yeah, of course. And you think if you'd gone to a sort of mid, you know, even like a Tottenham of 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 that time, you know, if you'd gone back to Spurs, then it would have been a whole different story. But because he went and he was, he was a god for Rangers, kind of without having to probably put as much effort in as maybe he should. And, and then you know what? I think he would have out the Premier I, League, which had improved he, so much in the ten years since he'd been gone. I think he probably, years. I think he probably would have done as well because if you if you read up on how he went to Rangers, it, Walter Smith bumped into him in a hotel yeah. in Florida or something. They were on on holiday in, in the summer, and they, he basically said, "Oh, my kids love you. You know, you're a great player and everything. Would you ever think about coming to sign, play for Rangers?" And he, Gaza basically said, "Well, it look, looks like my time's up." At, in Italy, come over or give me a shout or give me a call kind of thing. And Walter Smith basically flew over there and knocked on his door and said, look, six months ago you said you'd come and sign for us. How about it? And he went, yeah, okay. And you think, if it was that easy, you know, I'm sure a few other clubs, if they knew he was on the radar, they could have, maybe they didn't want to in fairness, maybe they thought, no. Why wasn't Jerry Francis on holiday at the time? Somebody. <laughs> yeah, do you think that like Keegan would have, wouldn't have yeah. jumped at the chance of having Gascoigne at that point? I mean, yeah. that to me... You know, just the, there's places that would have had him a Chelsea of that time who were just trying to make that next step up. It yeah. just seems peculiar that nobody thought to go, 
let's have a crack on him. And he ended up at Rangers. It, 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 you know, I, I do wish for him it had gone the other way around and, you know, who knows what would have happened. But, I mean, that's the unfortunate thing with Gascoigne, isn't it? And, you know, it's like you said, Matthew, this, we're not saying anything that hasn't mm. been said a million times before. But um, there's a lot of what-ifs with Gazza. But, you know, he's, he's one of them that everybody continues to love and there's a lot of love and affection and everything out there and, and for him and rightfully so I think mm. unless you're a coach driver or owner of a coach <laughs> yeah possibly yeah. we will and we a will do <laughs> we will right. do a Gaza pod at one point we'll, I've been saying it for, for, for a very long time but we will do a, a show on Gascoigne at one point and when we do our icon series that I've, I've been planning and it's working blah 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 um, there's a few other transfers that happened around this week as well because I think it, was, it used to be deadline day back in the 90s or deadline week when it was the old school ways and there's a, a few I've picked out here Mark Kennedy to Liverpool 21st of March for two million, there's a name that didn't do as well as he hoped, um, especially at Borough. Oh, when they, apart from against, apart from he, against us, yeah, when, when they, played, I, for QPR. He played the QPR, we played against Borough or something happened. I don't remember. I think we won quite comfortably. Yeah, it was a rare high. You know that, that was busy that night. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can, can I suggest another podcast here? Because every time we talk about players that seem washed up, no one remembers them. There's always a sigh of resignation from Joel, and then he explains some story about how they scored a hat-trick against Middlesbrough or did something <laughs> yeah, really well. Yeah. So there's definitely a podcast that washed up players that you know, had a really good <laughs> Who battered Middlesbrough in their yeah. career yeah. highlights. It all goes back to Middlesbrough. Um, other transfers that happened. Uh, Graham Lassau to Blackburn, uh, 25th of March, 93 for 700,000. Yeah. Obviously went back to Chelsea in the end as well. Kevin Campbell to Everton, 23rd of March, 99 on loan. Then he went signed for them. Good, good spell on his later career for Kevin Campbell. Ronnie Rosenthal to Liverpool, which uh, we spoke about Ronnie Rosenthal a couple of weeks ago when he's after his hat-trick uh, for Tottenham against Southampton. But he joined Liverpool on 22nd of March, 1990. And Anders Limpar to Everton, 24th of March, 1994 for £1.6 million. Um, didn't really work out for him there either did it but a, a big Arsenal fade was in my underrated 11 of the decade go back into the archive and listen to that before we go uh, one final mention to something that happened uh, this week in the 90s 24th of March 1993 is the day when Matthew Letizia missed his only penalty of his whole career 47 out of 48 um, gents do you remember who saved that penalty? I do yeah I won't give it away do you Joe? I can't remember. I, see, I, I've got it in my head that it's Tim Flowers, but Ooh, I know that he scored his no. goal of the season against Tim Flowers, so I, I, I know I'm, it's not right. Uh, Matthew, go on, take it away. It, it was Mark Crossley. It was, it was Mark Crossley in a 2-1 defeat uh, for Southampton at the Dell. Uh, Crossley, who was one of our early, early guests on the show here, and instead of asking the gents, I can you can get his opinion, and I've got that little segment from that interview to play you right now. Here is Mark Crossley remembering that penalty save. Is right that you're the only uh, goalkeeper to save a penalty from one Matt Letizia. That's quite a stat, really, isn't it? It is, right. Like, it, it's amazing, really, when the guys took, four, I think, 48 penalties and yeah. only missed one. And uh, again, penalties. I must have been decent at saving penalties. Yeah, well, there's two massive saves uh, you made there. I think uh, I think 14 penalties in the Premier League in the same day. Someone got in touch with me recently and said it's a record, 57%. So I'm quite proud of that as well. But yeah, a funny story with that with Matt Latizier is uh, he had a he had a big do down in Southampton and uh, I think he got in the Hall of Fame. 100 100 people Hall of Fame. They had a big dinner in uh, in Southampton for him at the theatre where Laurie McMenon and Chris Nichol, they were all there, all interviewing him, and Matt was speaking, and it was great. And his agent got hold of me and he said, 
uh, we want to re- re- replay the, the, the penalty. <laughs> but, it, but, but Matt doesn't know. Will you come down? So I thought, five hour drive. Well, anyway, I thought, yeah, I'll go down. So I went down and they put, up, they put a big goal, a prop goal backstage. And as Matt was speaking in front of the stage, the curtains were drawn and they wheeled this big goal out. And the guy interviewing him said to him, uh, Matt, well, obviously you took 48 penalties and uh, you only missed one. And he said, yeah, 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 he was lucky, he dived early, da 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 He says, well, we're going to give you a chance to uh, redeem yourself. So the curtain goes back and there I am, I'm stood there in the goal. I'll, I'll not repeat what he, what, what he, what he said when the, when the curtain went back, but he took the penalty again and I saved it again. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you are the nemesis. The nemesis of Magnetis, yeah. Good stuff there from Mark. Um, so that sort of wraps up this week in the 90s. Um, that was quite a lot to talk about there, wasn't there, gents? Um, which uh, was a lot of good stuff. Um, we'll be back next week, but before we go, let me just tell you where you can find my fellow comrades on social network. Joe, where can they find you? We've not mentioned Top of the Pops yet, so there's your bingo card. Uh, yeah, uh, Joel Baby Herc, J-O-E-L-B-A-B-Y H-E-R-C. And yeah, it, it is just mostly Top of the Pops at the minute because I'm, I'm too concentrating on other things. <laughs> and rightly so. What, what a great year it is for music as well. <laughs> oh yeah, nineteen eighty five. Yeah, nine eighty five. Yeah, Matthew, your Twitter handle, please. Uh, at, at Matthew J Christ, or on the comment section of Joel's tweets about <laughs> top of the pops. Yeah, he's always coming over and torturing me about it oh, when yes. I've been drinking on a Friday night watching the late night repeat. I'm yeah, sure it won't be long before it moves on to a better year on top of the pops, and, and we it won't be long before we'll be back again for another this week in the nineties. We've also got another full-length episode coming up next week on Football Italia before we do a Corinthians episode as well. So that's all to come here from Alive and Kicking. I've been Ash Rose. Follow me at Ash Rose UK or the show at AK90s. And until next time, keep it 90s. Alive and kicking.